Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Hey, good morning. Welcome to ACF Church. We're so glad that you're with us here today and everybody with us online. We love you. If you're at an ACF outpost or just watching with us today, we're so thankful for you as well. So we are in a a series here called I'm With The Band. And so if you're new and you're like a church person, you're like, that was the strangest worship song I've ever heard in my life. You know what's going on. We're doing a cover tune every single week of the series, and we're just going to unpack it from a biblical perspective because ultimately, um, my opinion, your opinion about life doesn't matter. What matters is God's opinion about life, and and what God says to be true is really where truth is found. And so that's what we want to do in a culture where everything's relative, and you know you can kind of make up your truth and my truth. Let's go to God's truth and uh, find what is best for us as a family. And so um, we're going to be working through this series. And I want to just encourage you, continue to, to, to come back, invite a friend back to church. People are starting to show back up. In fact, there's not a whole lot of open seats in this room, which it's good news because we're opening our Wednesday night gathering this week, which is really exciting. So we are stoked for that. And that's happening 7 p.m. It's the same service, just on a different day. Everything's exactly the same. And it's actually the first one of the week, in case you're wondering. Uh, this Wednesday will be a completely different message than uh, today and uh, different worship as well. So um, we're just so glad that you're with us. And so we're going to get into this, this uh, conversation here today. And to do that, I just want to bring up some lyrics from the song. Here's what he says. He says, I keep swinging my hands through a swarm of bees. I can't understand why they're stinging me. But I'll do what I want, I'll do what I please, I'll do it again till I've got what I need. I'll rip and smash through the hornet's nest. Do you understand? I deserve the best. And I'll do what I want, I'll do what I please. I'll do it again till I've got what I need. So I want to get into the conversation here today. And uh, just to kind of tell you up front, um, when Jesus teaches... He, he kind of walks a different spectrum depending on who he's talking to and what the setting is. And in, in one setting, Jesus is, is really an inviter. It's kind of an invitation sermon. Like, hey, come follow me. Come be a part of what I'm doing. And then in another uh, uh, setting, Jesus is more of like a challenger. And he's going to push people. And he's going he's gonna to say things that are offensive. And uh, this is more of a challenging sermon. And so if this is your first week or you finally got your friend to show up today, we're going we're gonna to push a little bit just to kind of prepare you for that. Because because that's really what this song is about. It's about some deeper things in our, in our souls, really the darkness that exists within our hearts. And so um, it's just talking about being stung by a bee. Can you remember the first time you were stung by a bee? Most of us have that story. I still remember when I was first stung by a bee. I was probably 13 years old, and I went to pick up a sawhorse, and uh, uh, some bees had made a hive on the bottom part of the sawhorse, and I grabbed it. And when the bee stung me, it was like electricity went through my body, and I honestly didn't even know what happened because I, I, I didn't know what the feeling would be like. And then it hit me, and then the pain filled you know my entire body, and then you know I, I, I just kind of went on with my day. And, and over the next hour, my hand swelled up, and it looked like a lobster claw. Uh, which is never a good thing, right? And so then I just went and I went to bed and took a nap or something, which, you know, when you're having an allergic reaction, you probably shouldn't just go to bed. But I was fine. It was okay. But I'll never forget that moment of that, that, that moment of pain, the first time I felt the sting. 
Now, if you ask me when was the second time I got stung by a bee, I couldn't tell you. Most of us couldn't. We don't know that story. We know the first time that we felt the sting. And I want to talk today a little bit about that because that's a lot of what it's like when it comes to the decisions that we make and and the, the, the things that are sin within our lives. One thing that we do is, is we tend to, we hurt ourselves. And I think most of us would admit that in many ways we become our own worst enemy. And we do things that don't contribute to flourishing in our lives. Proverbs twenty five sixteen says this, If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill and vomit it. So, kind of gross. Bible talks about this occasionally, about this idea of vomiting something. But, but kind of the illustration is very clear that if you find something good, eat it, but don't eat too much of it, right? Don't overdo it. Don't, don't do it to the point that you end up hurting yourself. Ultimately, we know this, more is not always better, is it? More is not always better. This is definitely true. Um, we, we are a country of more, We live in America, and we have a lot of resources at our fingertips. In fact, you could say that our living conditions as Americans today are better than they've ever been. And despite what's gone on in this past year and the struggles that some people are legitimately feeling financially and even through their health this last year, at the same time, Americans at the end of 2020, a recent study showed that we all have more money in our bank accounts than we have in years past that the stock market ended on a high note, and that people actually have more job security today than they did, than they did a year ago. And so in general, like our, our conditions, our, our living conditions are better than they've been in a long time. And I was reading a study that was, uh, that was done by the University of Chicago, and back in 2018, they were trying to find out if Americans were happy. I don't know what you think, like our, how happy are Americans? And they found that 31% of Americans would say that they are happy with their lives. And now they went and they redid the study in 2020, and now 14% of Americans would say that they are happy with their lives. Now, you could, you could say, like, okay, there's a lot of things that have gone on there, a lot of challenges that we've gone through, but it, I'm, I'm just using that as an example. Things are not getting better for us as our living conditions are better, as, as in general, like, you know, medically we can take care of ourselves better and we have more finances available to us. We are not getting better. In fact, we're, we're really getting worse. And so who before has said these words, I really overdid it this time? You ever said that before? I say that after every Thanksgiving. I'm that guy that the day before I'm drinking gallons of water trying to expand my stomach lining so that I can eat more food, so that I can be more miserable around three o'clock the next day, uh, my dad always said it this way, son, your eyes are bigger than your stomach. It's just a weird phrase when you think about it, but that's a dadism. I don't know. One day I'll say it to my kids. But he would say it that way. Uh, how about this? Have you ever went and paid for the wristband at the state fair? Have you ever made that mistake? Like, oh, I'm going to love this. I'm going to eat like chocolate-covered fried Twinkies all day long. And then I'm going to go on the tilt-a-whirl. I'm just going to run that sucker. I'm just going to run it over and over and over again. And then you end up sick. This is what the proverb is talking about. When we overdo it, when we think that this will fulfill us and give us satisfaction, and really in the end, it's a big lie. It's a big lie. So I'm going to start off with a point that maybe you're going to think doesn't need to be made, but I really think it does need to be made. And here's the point. The truth is always better than a lie. Wouldn't we say that? When it comes to the friends that you choose in your life, wouldn't you rather they tell you the truth, right? 
I mean, at a base level, you got a little bit of broccoli in your teeth, right? That's a good friend that says that, you know. But in general, you want friends that will tell the truth. You want people in your life that are truthful people, and they want you to tell the truth as well. And yet there is a tension here, isn't there? There's a tension because we say the truth is better than, than a lie, and yet our lives are really full of lies, Now, there's a word in the church that isn't a popular word, and it's the word sin. And sin really is anything that we choose that is not God's best for us. That's all it is. Anytime you and I settle for less, that's what what sin is. And sin is literally the manifestation of a lie in your life. You are believing something. We are believing something that is not true of us or of the world around us. And the problem is we want the truth but we've all found ourselves chasing lies, believing lies, perpetuating lives. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12 says it this way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, I know you've been there before where you thought it was the right thing or you thought it was the best thing, but in the end, you experienced death. I know I've done this to myself. I didn't realize how poorly it would go, right? I didn't realize that it would destroy so much in my life. I didn't realize how much pain it would cause. You see, the problem with lies we believe is that we don't believe they are lies. The problem with the lies we believe is that we don't think they're lies. If we thought they were lies, we would choose something else, right? But in the moment and throughout our lives, we believe things that are lies, And as we get into the text today, um, one commentator wrote it this way. I thought this speaks perfectly to it. He says this, Life is often deceptive. Isn't that true? And the text here implicitly exhorts readers not to be taken in by appearances. One should not be too quickly to ascribe happiness to others since no one can be sure of the true condition of another's heart. Regardless of appearances, above all, One should not be taken in by the apparent freedom from grief that one sometimes sees in those who do not concern themselves with God or his ways. In the end, the righteous will be vindicated. Amen. Fools, however, are quickly taken in by what they see and thus think they can sin without penalty. Uh, I'm the fool. I've done this. You've been the fool before where you've walked out a road and you thought, man, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Have you ever asked somebody this, was it worth it? Maybe somebody's asked you that before. Was it worth it? You made a choice. You did something. You said something that, man, it's like, man, you, you did the thing that you shouldn't have done. And the question is, was it worth it? You see, there's two responses to the lies that we want to believe. One response is this, there's no penalty at all. God is not who he says he is. There will be no justice. I can do whatever I want. I can do what I please. That's one response. The other response is this. The penalty is there, but it's going to be worth it. Some of you are there, right? Where you know something's wrong and you know that something's coming, but you're like totally worth it. Um, Some of you are athletes. And have you ever been put on the bench or put in a penalty box and been sitting there with a smile on your face like, so worth it? That guy had it coming for him, right? Like you are the hero and you're in the penalty box, but you're just like, it was so worth it. Sometimes we want things so bad. We think it's going to be so good, so sweet. 
And it ends up being a penalty. And in the moment, we're like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know if it's that bad, right? I mean, honestly, a lot of us, we've gotten away with a lot of things, haven't we? I mean, I can look at my life and go, there are things that have clear repercussions that are terrible. And go, it's just clearly like, get rid of that. That hurt way too much. The sting was way too painful. Over here, there's other parts of my life that I just haven't been stung yet. I just, I haven't felt it. And honestly, I'm like, oh, it's kind of worth it. I'm just going to let that live somewhere in my soul, in my house, in my heart. And let's just see what happens. It's a reason the, that the, the proverb calls that a, a foolish way of living. And so um, if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Romans chapter 1. And uh, we're going to get into the text. You can actually download the ACF Church app as well if you want to follow along that way. But Paul is going to talk to this, the, the, these, these Christians in Rome. And he's going to deal with sort of the power structures that are going on in Rome. Rome was a very powerful place. I mean, at this point, really, in many ways, we connect with them because they were so advanced technologically, politically, militarily, in many ways, just like America. And, and, and they just kind of thought they'd figured life out. They've, they kind of thought they figured the world out. They're like, look at us. And, and as we know, pride comes before a fall, right? And, and isn't this true that we kind of look at ourselves and we think we've sort of figured the world out. We've kind of moved beyond those old ancient ways of thinking. We figured out new ways to view the world and new ways to view humanity and sexuality, what life's all about. And it's okay. Like, we can do whatever we want because we see things the way that we see them. In Romans 1, 18, he launches right into it. It's a little intense. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, some of you are like, I finally got my friend to come to church and pastor's talking about wrath. So, listen, I get that wrath is not a fun conversation. It's not a word we like. We don't like to ascribe wrath to God. But I want you to know this, that God cannot be loving if he also doesn't have wrath. Wrath is actually an aspect of God's love. So I'm a daddy, right? I'm a daddy of two daughters. If, if a pedophile were to do something to my daughters, they would feel the wrath of dad. Amen, Right? If somebody does something to harm my family, you better believe there'd be some wrath. And in fact, if there wasn't, wouldn't some of you be like, there's something wrong with you? You're not a good dad. I mean, if you love them, there's a certain wrath that comes out because I hate anything that would hurt my family. And God is the same way. We're like, oh, how can it be wrathful? I just want loving God, the God that's like, oh, just abuse yourselves with this. I'm just going to stand back and and watch it happen. No, that's not, that's not who God is. Because God is perfect. He's loving in every way, all the time. And in the same way, if I'm to love my family or love any of you, it means that if I see a bus bearing down on you, I'm going to say something. I might even scream at you in the moment. But it's because I'm trying to love you. And the same is true with God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. This is important. He says, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So God hates sin, but he loves mankind. God hates what would destroy us, ungodliness, unrighteousness. Once again, these are, these are us accepting less than God's best for us. The things that are abusing us and hurting us, God hates those things. That's what ungodliness and unrighteousness is. He hates those things of mankind. And then he goes on and he says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He calls them truth suppressors. 
And so here's the challenging reality of this first part of the text about the lies that we believe is that we don't overlook the truth. We suppress it. We like to think that we just kind of, (laughs) whoops, I just didn't know. Um, But if I look at my life, I always knew. We, we, we know what's going to be good. We know what's, what's not right for us to do. We have this inner sense that God has actually placed within us to understand right and wrong. And yet we choose what's wrong all the time. And, and Paul is like, hey, church in Rome, hey, church in Alaska, you suppress the truth. You don't just overlook it. This word suppress in the Greek literally means to tie it up, like with ropes, it's like we see the truth and we just wrap ropes around it and we tie it up in a knot, right? We don't want it to go too far. We don't want it to impact our lives or other people's lives too much. There's intentionality in suppression, right? It's not just an accident, not just a whoops. And when it comes to the sin in our lives and the lies that we believe, there's a couple of different responses. Um, when I talk about it right now, you might even be thinking, okay, Brian, I know exactly what it is today. Like I came to church and God's already talking to my heart. I know exactly where I'm rejecting and suppressing the truth in my life. And so one of the responses is is, is shame, right? It's to feel shame. And I just want you to know this. If you feel shame today, that's not of God. We do not worship a God of shame. Shame does nothing for you. Shame is from the enemy. Conviction is from God. Conviction leads to repentance and to a changed heart and a changed life. That's what God wants for you today. So some of us, we, we uh, just feel shame when, we, when we're confronted with this. Like right now, when I, even in church right now, you're confronted with your past and things you've done and places you've been and, and there's shame being poured on you, right? And it's not helping you. It's not going to get you anywhere. Others of us, when we see the sin in our lives, we just suppress it. We just try to ignore it, right? Netflix, a beer, in my night is good, right? I can just kind of get away from all the conviction, and do whatever I can to just try to not feel it. Can I numb myself to any of the things that God wants me to do? That's, that's suppression of the truth, right? So some people choose shame. Other people choose suppression. What God wants today is surrender. I just want you to open yourself up and go, God, I, I trust you. I think you might actually have a better plan than I do. I, I've tried to just take more and more, to take what I need, and I've never got enough I was uh, in Portland last week driving around and uh, downtown in the city, lots of homeless camps, people living in campers and tents and underneath tarps all over the place. And I found myself going, can we take a different way around this? Have you ever done this before? You're in a big city and it just makes you uncomfortable because you're like, man, I, I don't want to see this because if I see it, there's a chance God might make me do something or challenge me to do something, or call me to do something, right? There, there, there's a chance that I'll need to do something, and so if I can just kind of shield, you ever seen a horse with blinders on, right? If I could just put blinders on and avoid seeing the brokenness in the city around me, maybe I don't have to deal with it. But what if God wants you to be a little uncomfortable once in a while? What if he wants to put you in situations where you're going you're to have to hear his spirit and move in uncomfortable ways? This is literally the suppression of the truth. And how do we suppress the truth? By unrighteousness. By sin. Literally, we are saying God is not true as we sin. As you and I choose the things that we know are not good for us, we're saying God is not the truth. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Amen to that. So it turns out that you're always putting things in the ground, right? This is a basic analogy of agriculture and farming that people would have understood in their day. I'm not much of a green thumb guy. Some of you are doing planting right now because it's springtime. Uh, back in Colorado, we had a garden, and I went down and I bought one of these flats of habanero peppers because I just love anything spicy. And uh, I got six of them. And I figured, well, if I plant six, probably one will live. And they all lived. And they, they were huge. And they, they produced hundreds of apples. <laughs> Habaneros, right? Hundreds and hundreds of peppers. It's a basic thing, but what we put in the ground is what comes out of the ground. It's very simple. You see, I think we want to sow rebellion, but reap satisfaction. I think we want to sow greed, but reap financial blessing. I think we want to sow unforgiveness, but reap healthy marriages. And this is not how it works. And by God's grace, he allows us to see the lie for what it is. But I love that that text gives us a different option, right? It talks about sowing things in the spirit of God, right? Listening to God's spirit, walking in obedience to him. And and when, when we sow love, forgiveness, justice, reconciliation, generosity, what we do is instead of binding the truth, we unleash the truth. And that's what we want to be as as a church. I I want that for ACF. Can we be those who unleash the truth into the world? That we show people by the way we live, not just by yapping our mouths, right? I can get up here and say all kinds of stuff, but by the way we love people, we unleash the truth into the world. By the way that we serve them, we unleash the truth into the world. By any way that we look like Jesus, we are unleashing what is true in the world around us and not being truth suppressors. Verse 19 says this. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, people who suppress the truth can know God. God is showing himself to them. I don't know if you know this, but God has been trying to show himself to you. He's been doing whatever he can to show himself to you. It says in verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. This is a challenging text because you and I have lots of excuses. We have lots of, he's talking about how God is clearly visible. I just, I feel like the older I get, the more I believe this the more unexplainable the world is. Do you ever feel like this? The more that you learn about life and about the world, the less you feel like you know? I know I've felt like that. Just watch like a National Geographic, you know, show and I'm just like, mind is blown. Uh, We have three children. The, The first time I held my daughter in my arms, I'm just like, a human came out of a human. How does this happen? How is this toes and fingers and hair and all that this child is? I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. Like, I mean, my mind is just blown by it. God is like, here I am. Here I am, everywhere you look. This word eternal in the text was difficult for translators to translate. It's, eternal isn't even that accurate. A better translation, although it's not even really a word, would be the alwaysness of God. He's always been. He, he always will, will be. He's going to outlast you, you and I on this earth, right? Like God has always been and always will be. This is God. And the ultimate truth that's being communicated here is that the truth is available to every single person on earth. 
There's no one that's outside of the grasp of God. There's no one that's just, just beyond his reach. None of you are. None of us are. And that he's always been trying to make himself available. But in the beginning, mankind suppressed the truth, right? That's the story in Genesis. This world is not as it was intended to be, amen? Things are not right. What you see in the world is not what it was intended to be. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. The creation of the world, mankind walking in the cool of the day with God, right? This beautiful unity with each other, with their creator. I mean, that's how it was intended to be. The relationship was fractured by sin, and we've been feeling it ever since. The suppression of the truth, right? If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. I don't know. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's worth it. We've all been there. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? Their hearts, what does it mean to have a darkened heart? I think there's a certain numbing that happens once again, right? You get stung the first time. It's like, ow, that hurts. And then over time, you just kind of get used to it. And this is all of our natural tendency is we numb ourselves to the things that God wants to show us in our lives, right? We just sort of accept it and get used to it. And, and, and once again, he's just taking away the excuses like, like somehow this is a decision somebody else has made. No, it's a decision we've made. And again, we don't like the word wrath, but what he's saying is that wrath is a choice. Hear me on this. If you're like, man, God is just like pouring his wrath down on my life. That if it really is the wrath of God, then it's because we have walked willingly into unrighteousness and we need to repent. And we need to go to God on our knees and say, God, forgive me. And I just want you to know we have a God who wants to pick us up out of the muck and the mire. He wants to pull us out of the mess and receive us and love us where we are. Their hearts were darkened. In John 8, Jesus is speaking uh, to these Jewish religious people who um, kind of thought that Jesus was a threat to their version of the truth, right? He was threatening their lives the way that they saw them. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and he says this. He doesn't say, I'm here to give you the truth. He says, I am the truth, right? He says, I am the truth. And then he goes on and he lays into these religious people. He's really harsh on them. And he says in John 8, 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil. That's a harsh accusation, right? You never want to hear that from Jesus. You're of your father, who just happens to be the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. It's to just follow the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in what? The truth. So the devil doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you see both sides of this? Again, there, when it comes to what's right and wrong in the world, we all like a spectrum. We all like shades of gray. Eh, it's sort of right, sort of wrong. That's not how the Bible talks about it. There is right and there's wrong. There's the father of lies and there's the truth. And a half-truth is also a lie, Okay? If it's a half-truth, it's a lie. If it's partial obedience, it's called disobedience, right? We, all the parents are speaking of That's right. <laughs> they only cleaned half their room, right? That was disobedience. We know that. We say that about our kids, but for us, it's like we give ourselves an out. So I can, do, I can 
believe a half-truth, do half of what God wants me to do. And he talks about the devil, and I get that that's kind of weird for some of you. You're like, ooh, a devil, right? But uh, we actually believe that there is a demonic power. We believe in a, a real devil and a real God. And, and to some of you, this seems weird, but this, this, I believe, is absolutely true. And I don't really think you have to look far to see this. And in fact, the word devil is uh, the word diabolos, which is where we get the word diabolical, which describes him perfectly. And what's interesting is that Satan himself doesn't actually have a real name. Satan and devil, that's not their name. It's not like Bill, right? Sorry if your name's Bill. Uh, You're you're not the devil, I swear. But it's not his name. It's a description of him. The name, uh, the, the word devil or Satan, literally it's a title. It's not a name. And it means accuser, adversary, and liar. So this creature is so evil, he doesn't even get a name. He's feeding you lies. He is the father of lies. And so Jesus himself is speaking to these religious people and he's like, hey, there's a, there's a father of lies that you're believing. He's actually your father because you're choosing to follow him. And then there's this, this God who wants to give you the truth and you have a decision to make. Verse 22. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So claiming wisdom but being fools, does this not describe the world we live in? Like we have graduated way beyond those things. We are so wise. We are so smart. And yet we are so smart we're stupid. We say things that make no sense at all because we have the technology, the philosophy, the information, the history. Certainly we've moved beyond the Bible, haven't we? Certainly we've figured out a better way to live. And, and I want you to, I want to warn you as, as Christians, if you've been in the church for any extended period of time, there is a tendency to study the Bible to the point that you start to use it to abuse yourself, that you use it to, to walk away from God's best, not toward it. And this is why I love new Christians, because new Christians open the Bible and they're like, it just says to do this, so I guess I got to do it. Whereas as like, you know, a Christian that's been in the church for a while, like, well, let's look at the Greek for a minute and uh, let's pick this out for a minute. I don't think it really means that. And I don't know. And listen, I am all for strong biblical hermeneutics and exegesis. Like, absolutely. But listen, like, I think this is something we do all the time is we, we take the scriptures and we use them against ourselves. We thought we were so wise, yet we were being fools. We thought we were so smart. Like, we figured all of this out, yet we are foolish. I'd say it this way. If your theology of forgiveness makes you less forgiving, you're doing it wrong. If your theology of serving makes you less of a servant, you're doing it wrong. If your theology of giving makes you less generous, you're doing it wrong. If your theology of love makes you less loving, you're doing it wrong. See, as we understand the Bible for what it is, we should end up looking more like Jesus who is all-loving, sacrificial, and completely generous in every way. And so that's what we need to learn is to become more like him as we understand the text. Verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up. He gave them up. I hate seeing my kids hurt themselves. I hate seeing my kids do things to themselves. I hate seeing my kids make decisions that I know are going to hurt them and yet as a dad, I know there's a, there's a season for that. There's a time to give them warning, but to allow them to walk the road. 
God as a loving father will allow you to walk this road, to walk towards the light, to believe it. The most gracious thing that he ever does in our lives is show us the pain that comes from our sin. If you're feeling the pain of your sin, God is in his hands upon you. I, the thing that scares me for, for us in this room, especially for us as Americans, is that we insulate ourselves, become so comfortable that we no longer feel the pain of our rebellion. That's a dangerous place to be. It says, God gave them up in their lusts, their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged. They didn't lose it. They didn't forget it. They didn't just miss it. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. And every time you find yourself being hurt by something, what what you've done is you've twisted something that God wanted to give you as a gift, right? You took something that was supposed to be just a, a blessing in your life and you used it to hurt yourself. So it's not the problem. It's a twisted version of something that God wants to give you because God gives good gifts and Satan is the father of lies. I love that he says that God is blessed forever because have you ever stood there in your lie and thought you were so blessed? Thought it was so good and then it just went away? And yet when you follow God, you you actually experience blessing for eternity. And so I want to ask you this question. Maybe you've been asking yourself this this whole time. Where have you exchanged the truth for a lie? Where have you just given it up intentionally and said, I'm just going to believe this and trust that I'm going to get off ahead. Somehow I'm not going to feel the pain or, or, or the wrath of God. I can just operate outside of God's will. If you want to be blessed forever, follow Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. So here's my challenge to you today. A lot of you have heard stuff before. Um, you know some Bible. In fact, I've, uh, I've said this many times. I, I think we're educated way beyond our obedience as Christians. Like you probably don't need another verse. You probably just need to go do something. Um, that's the, in my life, I know a lot of, I've read some verses. Um, that's not my problem. My problem is just doing things that God is calling me to do. So here's my challenge and my invitation to you today is this. Don't just know the truth. Believe it. Believe it. To believe in something is literally to rest your entire weight upon it. So when you came in, you sat in these little chairs and you thought they were going to hold you up and so far so good, right? But at some point as you sat down, you, you had to trust. And have you ever had somebody pull the chair out from underneath you? I hate that. God won't do that. God won't do that. You can rest your entire life on him, I promise you. He will catch you every time. So don't just know the truth. Believe in it. And when Jesus went to the cross, do you know that he was making a declaration of what is true? Literally, in his self-sacrifice on the cross, he was confronting the lies of the world and saying, that's a lie, this is truth. Here's the lie. The lie is you exist to serve yourself. The truth is you exist to serve others and sacrifice for them. 
as he's crucified on the cross, the lie is God doesn't love you. The truth is God would do anything for you, even go to a cross. As he's bleeding on this cross, the lie that he's confronting is that your sin is unsurmountable. And yet as he's resurrected from the grave, he says, I have canceled your sin and I've conquered sin and death and I want to give you a new life. And so as a church family, can we just go unleash the truth on the world this week by the way we live and by the way that we love? I never want to look at Jesus on the cross and by the way I live, say to him, that was worth it. Because that's literally what we're doing as we walk in unrighteousness. We say, God, it's worth it. I want to honor the sacrifice that Christ made by choosing obedience and even sometimes giving up some things that might seem fun in the moment so that I can get something better in the end. If you would pull out your... uh, insert here or whatever you want to call this bulletin thing and on the bottom we've got something called an action card if you want to just rip this off and uh, this is just something we do as a church family so that we can take a step forward and um, it's because once again uh, you're going to be tempted right now to do exactly what we just talked about which is to suppress the truth to leave here and go I don't have to do anything with that I, I just you're wasting your time you might as well go golf not yet golfing's coming You can't find your ball yet, but you might as well go do something different. So tear that off. We're going to drop these in the basket on the way out. Maybe your first step is this, just to place the weight of your life on Jesus. Uh, You've been hovering over the chair for too long. Maybe today is the day you say, I'm just going to give my life to him. I'm going to surrender myself to him. Maybe you need to ask God to show you the lies in your life. There's a dangerous prayer. You want to take this seriously today? Walk out of this room. Go get in your car. Say, God, show me where I believe a lie. Show it to me. And he'll show it to you. I, I, I believe he will. Maybe you need to confess your sickness to someone. Like, as, as we talked today, you thought, yeah, I've, I've hurt myself and I've hurt some others and I haven't yet acknowledged it. Um, I just want you to know the first step to healing and reconciliation with God is confession. Just, just get it out and find one person that you can, you can trust that, that idea with. Or maybe today it's to go to crash course. So we talked about this earlier. Um, I think there's a lot of Christians that uh, have been in the church for many years but have not grown beyond, beyond infancy, really. And so we've designed something called Crash Course, which is an introduction to ACF. If you're brand new and you're like, what's this place all about? You need to go to Crash Course. But they're also going to give you some incredible tools on how to grow in your faith how to take some next steps in your life, and I, I just, it's going to be really incredible. So it's literally happening at one o'clock right downstairs. So they've got kids taken care of, if you've got a family, but if you see yourself maybe serving at ACF in the future, you need to go through this. Um, or if, you, if you're just new and you're like, I want to kind of hear some more about ACF or about how to grow in my faith, this is where you need to go. So one o'clock, if you didn't sign up, they've said it's okay. I think there's already like 30 people signed up for this, but you can just show up here um, at one o'clock. It's, I think it's a couple hours and then, uh, then you can take off. So would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us as we close out here today. Father, thank you so much that you meet us right where we are. God, that you accept us right where we are, but you don't want to leave us there. God, that you invite us into something better. And so we confess today, Father, we have believed some lies. 
there are some parts of our life that um, we have held back from you. Things that we have felt like we know a better way. Ways that we have manipulated your word or abused your grace so that we can do whatever we want to do. God, would you show each of us individually right now what that thing is so that we could hand it over to you? For the person who is just saying, this is just my whole life, just kept it all from you, God, I pray that today, God, we could step into surrender, not feeling shame, not suppressing the truth, but surrendering ourselves to you. God, thank you for your grace that you're always willing and ready to receive us, God. You love us so much. And we see that displayed on a bloodstained cross. We see your power displayed in an empty tomb. God, we see you at work right here in this room. We love you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.